Hello everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I'm here, as always, with the wonderful Ben. How you doing today, Ben? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Wes? I am doing pretty good myself. A rainy Sunday afternoon, a good day to mm-hmm. stay inside and talk about some video games. <laughs> I feel like every day is a good day, Wes. Come on. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> We're always excited to be staying inside and talking about video games. That's true. <laughs> But why don't we get things started off with what we've been playing recently? Uh, what's been on your menu of games? Well, I've been uh, still floating between Clone Hero and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Nice. I've actually gotten, I think, pretty far through Knights of the Old Republic. I only have like one world left. And then I think there's some sort of end game world or something. But only one world from the original galaxy map left to do. So I feel like I've made a good amount of progress and i have other things i want to talk about that i didn't mention last time okay or that i've kind of explored or you know have just come across towards this end game a little bit more one thing i have to say right off the back this is an rpg where there's no inventory system at all like (laughs) you can carry everything (laughs) and that's it yeah yeah. there's no uh weight limits there's no oh this takes up two grid spaces in your no it's just if you can pick it up you can take it and i love that my inventory looks a little cluttered i'll be honest (laughs) but i can navigate that on my own and there's never a part of like the gameplay where it stops because i have to worry about inventory management it's just you keep going and uh that's really fun and i uh i just maybe it's me getting old but i'm just kind of tired of these inventory restrictions wes i don't know yeah no no i get that (laughs) i think uh fallout new vegas kind of hurt me because mm. after every uh fight you would like loot people and then have to like pick like maybe only ammo off their body and because otherwise their like corpse would just have tons of useless junk on it and it was just so painful always sorting through all that and in the star Wars lines of the overpublic because you can pick up everything they don't have the npcs just carry random junk on them <laughs> like every time you can loot somebody there's actually something useful in there right. and you just quick pick it up and you go so it's really nice and kind of along with that is also like you've got some special ammo like grenades that are consumables essentially but your generic just like shooting lasers is not an ammo thing so you can just shoot to your heart's content and i really like that as well no ammo so some really nice quality of life things there. And then the other thing I wanted to really mention is, so the game kind of has it where as soon as you do the first world, the game opens up and you have like four or five worlds to go to in any order you want. And kind of the consequence of this, because you can go to it in any order you want. Now that I'm on the last one, like I could have went there first, but I didn't. I, I saved it for last. And that means that all the enemies are just really low level and I'm just destroying them. And I actually really love that because it kind of, to me, feels like, oh, this is how I've progressed. Like if I had gone here first, it would have been challenging. But now that I've done it last, I'm much more powerful and I'm feeling all those level ups in the gameplay. And I love the fact that the developers didn't just be like, well, we'll just have this level scale to wherever you're at or, you know, because you did this fourth the enemies are different now or something they're harder like they didn't 
like some people I think would have been like, well, if this isn't challenging every step of the way, then it's not fun. But I really disagree. I think it's it's fun to kind of feel powerful. And I like the fact that I'm 25 hours in and I'm going to places and there's still like level fives there and I'm just destroying them because <laughs> it makes right. me feel like I have progressed. So right. yeah, it's a really nice feature and I, I wish that happened more often, but I feel like with most games, when you get to those higher level zones, they don't put in like low level enemies and have you just be powerful like that. It just doesn't happen very often anymore. So I don't know what's going on there, but I really like that. So a couple things that really stuck out to me playing since last time I wanted to mention. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. That can be very fun when <laughs> you just have all those levels stacked up. And an interesting thing about the progression of that is that there's not really any way to grind, right? Like there's, yeah. there's side quests, but, and I think there might be a few, like a handful of respawnable enemies, but for the most part, it's just kind of like you kill what you're supposed to kill and then that planet's depleted of experience points. So yeah, no, it leads to interesting situations where sometimes you f- might feel a little behind the curve, but then also once you got the ball rolling, you got all those experience points. Some of the later planets you go to, you're just going to be a master Jedi and it feels good to be a master Jedi. <laughs> yeah, like I remember the first time I faced an enemy Jedi, it did not go very well. Right, <laughs> and yeah. They were very powerful. And now I'm like, oh, I can take on any any group of Jedi because, you know, some of the things like when you level up, like you get to resist their force powers more and they just become less less of a threat. And it just re- feels good that to know that, oh, my guy's so powerful now that uh, these enemies that used to be hard, they're easy now. And I'm still seeing them in their same state. That's the, I think that's the the key there. It's not like, they've leveled up along with me. They've stayed the same and that right. makes me feel powerful. So it's a nice uh, mechanic, I think. I really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. I'm glad you're making progress in that. I haven't touched it in a while, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Am I getting close to where you are, Wes? How far did you get, do you know? I think you're a little, bit, worlds? a little bit past me now because I'm, okay. I'm like halfway done my third world and then there's four before you get to like the final end game world, as far as I know. Yeah. So you've made some progress on me. I got to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what have you been playing though, Wes? Let me know. Well, so I wanted to talk about something I'm looking forward to yet again, because I've still just been playing a lot of Coral Island, tiptoeing my way back into the Gamma mod for Stalker Call of Pripyat. But nothing really interesting to talk about there right now. So I wanted to talk about a game that I totally forgot was coming out in August. It is the newest game from from software, the developers of, of course, Elden Ring and all the Souls games. And what could it possibly be coming from this studio renowned for their Souls-like RPGs defining the genre in many ways? It's a mecha action game called Armored Core 6, The Fires of Rubicon. And I am so excited <laughs> just to see <laughs> have them. Have you played any of the other ones, Wes? I think they've been making these for a long time, right? Yes, they have. So I was looking it up. I haven't played any of the other ones. They were mostly PlayStation exclusives, and I was a uh, Xbox mm-hmm. kid growing up. So I never touched these or the original Demon Souls, which kind of started off the Souls genre. 
But the first Armored Core game was actually released all the way back in 1997. So they've been at it for a while. That's, uh, I think, 12 years before Demon Souls, which is the first Souls-like game. So, you know, even though it's been 10 years since the last Armored Core, they definitely have a good pedigree for, you know, making action mech games. So I'm very excited to see what it looks like. They have also developed a Gundam game, and it definitely seems like it's more on the side of like mecha anime kind of mech style. I mean, it doesn't look like an anime. It's realistic looking, but it's more that like fast dodging mech type of game instead of sort of the slow trudging mech Mm -hmm. warrior style game, which I love both of. I grew up playing a lot of mech warrior on Xbox, and that's very fun, but I'm excited to see this like it's basically an action RPG, except you're piloting a mech. They showed a trailer for it recently, and there are bosses, giant spider mechs with lots of legs. The scale looks incredible. It looks like one whole level takes place on like a moving giant mech that's so big that your mech is just walking around on it like it's in a city, basically. So <laughs> I'm sure with what they've been doing with Elden Ring, the teams at from software are going to have some like great set pieces and great scale hitataka miyazaki who is kind of known as the mind behind a lot of the dark souls games he's the current president of from software he was there when the fourth armored core game was released and developed and i believe he helped develop it so he's got experience with the series as well and it's just so fun when i uh, forget something's coming out and then i'm like oh that's only like four months away <laughs> Another pump on the map. It's crazy. I know. They must have a big team. I think so. Or multiple teams at this point, because I mean, they're also still working on developing the Elden Ring DLC, which is pretty far off. I believe there's no details on that yet. But hey, I I guess there's success and the great games they've been making have been doing well for them if they're able to make this one too, because it looks like it's going to be a pretty big game. I'm happy not having too many details going into it. I saw the trailer and... I'm basically sold, you know, from software. (laughs) They haven't done much wrong in the past few games that they've made. (laughs) It's interesting. I'm looking at this as well. The the last time record was like almost, it was like 10 years ago. 10 years ago. It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know if the series was kind of dying out then. And now that the studio's gotten pretty popular, they're like, hey, maybe it's time to bring back another IP. But I'm all for it, you know. Hopefully there's, Mm -hmm. I'm sure being 10 years since the last one was released, there's not going to be much dependence on previous stories and they're just kind of going to make it as its own thing. And like with Elden Ring, they had so many new people hop into the genre. So I'm sure lots of people are going to be coming off the Elden Ring hype and being like, Hey, let's check out this mech game. Uh, So yeah, Yeah. I I really hope it's good and I really hope it does well for him. Cool. Sounds fun. Oh yeah. But why don't we start talking about our special topic for today? We like to every year kind of round up and take a look at some of these weird one-off sort of like game consoles or sometimes we call them plug and play games where they're just sort of like these self-contained devices that do very unique and fun things uh (laughs) so we've got a list of a couple of them here ben did you want to talk about a few of them yeah let's uh let's go through the ones we're not like looking at too in depth because both of us did take one to check out a little bit more in detail but some of the ones that I caught in doing 1980 research included Advanced Voice Chess Challenger by Fidelity, Bridge Challenger 3 by Fidelity, Chess Traveler by Astronic, 
and Shafit's modular game system, which despite the long name, I think just played chess and it actually had Sargon 2.5 on it, which is a chess program that we've talked about several times on the podcast. But um, there are some more interesting ones that we also took a look at. Wes, do you want to tell people about Voice Sensory Chess Challenger? What a what a name! <laughs> yes, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, no fun acronym for that, as far as I know. But <laughs> the Voice Sensory Chess Challenger was also by Fidelity Electronics. I think lead developer on it was a guy named Ron Nelson, who did a bunch of chess challenger computers for Fidelity, and these are basically devices so that you could play a game of chess against a computer. But the voice and sensory parts of this are what make this one unique. The voice aspect we've seen before in other, I believe other chess challenger games where it actually has like sort of this hilariously stereotypical robot sounding voice that narrates the moves that you're doing and also the next move that it's going to make. And then you actually move the pieces along the board. But the cool sensory part of this is that the whole board with all of its different spaces is touch sensitive. So whenever you want to make a move, you click where the piece started and then you click where the piece is going to move to on the board. The computer says what happens and then it shows a like red LED light corresponding to where the piece moved to confirm it. And then the computer says where it wants to move its piece on its turn and you click the piece in both spaces so it can verify that yes you did move them to the right space so it's pretty cool i mean it's just another level from it narrating and you moving it actually knows if you moved them to the right space so <laughs> you can't really fudge things up and try to cheat there it's this very interactive way there was to play chess against the computer there were difficulty settings and even a printer attachment that you could buy for this so that it could print game logs if you really wanted to analyze <laughs> where your game went wrong against the computer. And it also had this feature where it looks like you click on a piece. So you say like, oh, I click on rooks before a game is started up and it lights up where on the board the rooks should be placed. So I don't know. It's just got a lot of fun features. I don't know how useful all of them are, but <laughs> it's a pretty neat little device. I like that one because. I think it's the first time we've seen one of these like chess games where you don't have to like type in your moves like on a calculator kind yes. of thing. Yeah. You can just kind of play the game and it just kind of goes. Yes, yeah, definitely a very cool one. But yeah, I'm curious uh, which one you are telling us about. Well, mine is a bit different. It's actually made by Mattel and it has a Dungeons and Dragons license. Ooh. It's their Dungeons and Dragons Electronic Labyrinth board game i guess i don't know like these whole plug and play things uh they're kind of just like miscellaneous like they're not quite a handheld they're not quite a board game they're not quite <laughs> so it's just this is where they end up going i guess <laughs> but um this dungeons and dragons electronic labyrinth game is kind of weird it's like um it also uses the sensory pads like in the chess game you had so whenever you move a piece on the board, you kind of like push it into the pad and there's a little click sound and it knows, okay, that's where you moved. And so again, I kind of like this because before you'd have to like type in your moves, like on some sort of calculator display or something. But in this case, you just, you take your piece and you're moving it around this board and pushing it into the board and the computer knows where you are. And what this game is, it's basically like a maze game, but in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you start out on this blank empty maze and as you make a move you could like run into a wall in the maze and that will end your turn and there's like a beep sound that plays and then you've got these little plastic wall pieces that actually fit on the board oh and cool you can kind of build out the maze layout that was spawned in by slowly uh, running into the size of the wall after you do this for a while you want to try to probably go towards the other side of the maze and find the dragon and the treasure that it's guarding now uh, you get a little sound notification when you're within three spaces of the dragon and that's the dragon waking up and from then on it will try to chase you so the goal is to kind of lead the dragon away from the treasure so that you can kind of go around the maze and grab it and then head back to your base without the dragon ever getting you and um it's hard because you don't know exactly where the dragon is because it's like a physical board game like you couldn't know <laughs> but uh there's a dragon token and you can kind of move that around as your best guess okay he's somewhere in this area and then he moved towards me okay that means he probably moved this way so now he's somewhere in this area and you can kind of you know try to guess where he's at and uh it's a decent little game i saw somebody playing it in single player mode i think that's kind of not so fun but it does offer up to i think four player support or something so oh nice uh oh no i'm sorry two players uh can play at the same time and uh i think that'd be a lot more fun because the dragon one it would be hard to know who the dragon is chasing it would be very random obviously (laughs) but uh I don't know. It's kind of like a, a maze game that we see on computers, but in real life and has nice theming around it and some uh, nice uh, sensory pads and stuff like I, I love seeing that kind of technology in these new types of games. So, yeah, no, that sounds really cool. It's, it's a very unique and like innovative way to use that sensory sort of system. Yeah, so I enjoyed it. But um, once we've got actual real digital games we have to talk about, so let's head over to the timeline and uh, start checking out games from December of 1980. Hello and welcome back. Let's start out today by talking about some computer games. We've got one here for the TRS-80 and Apple II, uh, maybe. I think maybe Apple II came out in early 81, but like we're in December of 80, so I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. Close enough, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also an Atari 8-bit version comes out in early 81, but I played the Apple II version because I didn't want to hate myself <laughs> play the TRS-80 version. Fair enough. But this game's called StarQuest Star Warrior. And it's the second in the StarQuest series, which you played Rescue at Rigel. Yeah, um, yeah. It's made by Automated Simulations, who also does the uh, Dungeon Quest series. And by the way, I think their name changes to Epics very soon. So you might know them under that name. Or I think it's just called Epic, but it's spelled with like an X in there. I don't know. But um, yeah, so this game, Star Warrior, I've also seen it called StarQuest 42. Even though it's the next one in this series of games, and to be honest, Automated Simulation series games have been pretty repetitive, and we haven't played that many of them after the first ones. This one actually mixes it up quite a bit. So I was excited to look at it. Um, it's 
pretty well remembered and seemed to be pretty popular for the time. So I definitely wanted to check it out. However, it was a little bit of a more difficult game to get into that I was hoping for. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, the manual, I think it's only like, okay, it's 17 pages long. I don't know if that feels long or not, but <laughs> the game is built off the same kind of core mechanics of their older games. So the way their games work, it's, it's more of a CRPG than a text adventure. So it's more about exploring the world, which is usually like a maze and um, fighting creatures and uh, collecting treasure. That's pretty much what their games have been. And this one, it's a little bit different though. For one thing, you're outside in an open world, which is really just kind of a collection of, I think it's something like a six by 10 grid or something like that. And uh, the grid has overlapping sides. So it feels open world because you can keep going in one direction forever. But uh, it's not. And you could map it out, I'm sure. But um, And you probably should, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, but okay, so it's a little different in that way. And also, uh, instead of being like in a maze, because you're like in these open grid-based tiles, it's more like you're you're in different rooms almost. Like each tile feels like one very large room and there's just some random stuff in there. It could be enemies, it could be structures, it could be like trees or mountains because you're outside, right? And whenever you get to the edge of one of these tiles, you kind of just go on to the next tile. So everything feel, feels a bit more open and uh, there's not so many like walls per se. So it's a little bit different in that respect. Graphics are also way different. I mean, on the Apple II, it's much more colorful and, and more sprite designs, whereas before it was very uh, blocky, very stick figure-esque. Like, there's a little bit more color going on here. And uh, because I think in um, the older games, the, the maze layout, you could see multiple rooms on screen at a time. So it was as if the camera was very like zoomed very far out. And because of that, the sprites had to be very small. Whereas in this game, it feels like you're a lot more zoomed in. So uh, you can get a lot more detail with the sprites. So it looks a bit better, I think. In fact, like some of the things like trees actually being green actually makes a really big difference. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think the graphics have improved with this game. But one thing that hasn't changed has been the combat system. And the combat system wasn't bad on the old games. Like, I like them. But I think with everything else going on in this game, it, like, the worst parts about the combat system kind of rise to the forefront. And the, how the combat works is that it's one of these turn-based things, but it's in real time. So in this case, like, every two seconds, another turn happens. And that'll always be happening every two seconds, whether you input something or not. But what that means is that, like, when you're in combat, like, I'm freaking out because somebody's attacking me, right? And I'm just trying to spam the commands and, like, nothing's happening because <laughs> you've got this, like, two-second delay for the next <laughs> turn. And the uh, parser just kind of, like, types everything or a lot more than the... Uh, the turns go so i don't know like if what i typed actually went or not so i'm just like spamming stuff um i don't know if that makes sense but like it's really hard to navigate the turn timer and it feels like a lot of your commands get just eaten like a lot of inputs get eaten by the the turn timer mm. so that was not a good part of this game <laughs> and uh the other part of this game that's really weird is that 
So in the older games, as I mentioned, it was this very like blocky, kind of very square maze and you moved by moving like a certain number of pixels over pretty much like it was nine pixels over or at a time or something like that and you had this fatigue system right and in this game they kept the movement the same you don't have fatigue luckily but when you move you can move anywhere between one to nine spaces at a time but the game isn't on a grid anymore like things are just randomly placed so it'll like one of the, the weapons has like a you have to put in like the range you think that you should fire it at and from a number of like 11 to 20 and i'm like looking at this screen that has no grid spaces on it being like <laughs> 15 i want like how do i know how far away something is how do i know that nine will take me like here and not all the way across the screen like it just is a very weird system that doesn't make any sense when you remove the the square nature of the grid and replace it with something a lot more organic like uh what we have here with these forests and mountains and stuff it just doesn't make any sense <laughs> so uh that part was really weird i think the only real differences between this and the rescue rigel game as far as the core gameplay goes you've got a couple more weapons you can choose from including uh like missiles but i think they call them like nukes <laughs> Again, that was one that I think you had to like aim for, so I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> There's also like when you aim, you have to aim uh and put in like a an angle out of three hundred sixty degrees, but like your character takes up half the screen, so it's very <laughs> i don't know it just doesn't really work very well. I don't know if um I have to turn the character and then fire if like it is uh if the 360 degrees is coming out of the rifle that he's carrying or right. like from the center of his body or like direction faced or yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt very uh, awkward to use. We'll say <laughs> in this game, unlike some of the other ones, you only have ranged weapons, but luckily you do have ranged weapons that automatically aim and, and hit. So that was the only thing saving me, but yeah. So otherwise what is going on in this game, the game has two game modes. The story behind it is that you're playing the same character and doing two missions that are like happening one after another. But okay, I think that's pretty loose. There's nothing <laughs> really in the game that would suggest that. But the uh, the first mission, you actually put in a time limit for the round or for how long you want to play. So like, let's say you put in 10 minutes. At that point, you will have 10 minutes to go and pretty much explore the map and destroy as many things as you can. And at the end of 10 minutes, it says go home or whatever, and you find your way back. And that's the end of the first scenario. And then for the second scenario, there's no time limit. And the objective is you have to go to a specific place on the map and destroy a specific building or enemy, I forget. And then make your way back. But in both cases, you could potentially beat the game really quickly. You know, you could just set a time limit for one minute or uh, just go and just destroy the objective for the second mission and, and then get back but there's more of an incentive like it's a high score thing where you do want to try to fight until you feel like one more battle and you'll lose and then leave so it's a uh, pretty loose on the story and like the objectives and as far as like the enemies that you're facing there's infantry which is very strange because the sprites for them are like half the size of your sprite so am I playing a big mech? I mean, what's going on <laughs> with that? Um, and there's like, you know, six 
sprites of people and the infantry enemy. And it's just one giant of you, apparently. But you've got infantry, you've got tanks. There's also installations, I think, including turrets. And there's some moving vehicles that can attack you. It's set sci-fi, but uh, because you're in, like, a forest, like, the trees are the only... <laughs> there's only two, like, background elements, which are trees and mountains. <laughs> and... uh you know, there's nothing really sci-fi about them, so it's kind of, like, weird. It feels like you're in a forest, and then occasionally just, like, a tank is there. Like, okay. <laughs> so, that part, like, there's some variety, but there's not a whole lot, I would say, with the enemies that I saw anyway. So, with all that being said, let me get into my ratings. So, for Star Warrior, for gameplay, I ended up giving this a 2.25 out of 10. I found the controls to be very difficult and frustrating to play. <laughs> I'll be honest, like the the real-time nature of the turns just made it feel like my inputs were getting eaten. I was trying to make uh, commands and like maybe I messed up the command and that made me miss my turn. I just felt like it was very uh, cluttered with the controls. Like I was just, it wasn't easy to do anything. <laughs> and uh, I think that's one big problem of the game. And the other problem is that there's so many commands that you can possibly do. I didn't even get to mention all the different uh, non-combat commands you have in this game. Like, uh, there's also a uh, kind of like a class system you can pick from between a couple different classes, and one of the classes can like turn invisible. You also can like hide. You can set a decoy. You can observe. You can uh, repair. Tons of different things and. Um, I do want to mention also, I forgot to mention this, but this game has a uh, some sort of visibility system where if <clears throat> an enemy is behind a tree, you won't be able to see them and they won't be able to see you, which is kind of cool. I think it's m maybe one of the first games that ever had something like that. So there's some commands revolving around that, and this is just way too much information to not have in the game at all. Like You have <laughs> to go to the manual for it. Right. And uh, it's just not fun to use. Like, it's... It's too complicated, and uh, you can't get into it very easily. And I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, like, I didn't spend enough time to learn the game properly, but I think a valid crit criticism is the game is too complicated and needs to be somewhat slimmed down yeah. or, uh, you know, just have some help in the game to help people. But, yeah, it's, it's not uh, an easy one to get into. So that kind of hurt my enjoyment of it as well. And I think the... The objectives are honestly kind of boring. It's like either just go and kill as many things as you can till a certain time limit or go and uh, assassinate one. I think it's like a static base. Like it's not even like a special boss or anything. It's just like another enemy and then leave. I don't know. I think they're kind of lame. So yeah, I thought the gameplay, I didn't go too high despite some of the improvements it did make to the combat with like more weapons and all these like visibility systems and stuff. I just don't think it really matters when the core gameplay is uh, as clunky as it is. For sound, I gave that a 1.5 out of 10. We do have a couple sound effects, mainly just when you fire your blaster and things explode. And I think there's like some occasional other beeps and boops here and there, but it's very minimal. There's no real music or anything. So uh, I just gave it some points just because it had sounds. So that was good. <laughs>
For graphics, I gave that a 2.25 out of 10. I don't know. I think the style is, is weird. Like the perspective, as I mentioned, is very strange. Like your guy is the same size as a full tree. I don't know <laughs> if that makes sense. The tanks are the same size as like an enemy base. <laughs> the mountains are smaller again than your guy. So the perspective is kind of all messed up. And uh, I think the just general style is weird like there are times when i feel like i'm playing a fantasy game where i look at my character and i'm thinking he looks like a rifleman from like the 1800s and then like all of a sudden out of nowhere there's like um a speeder that i would see in like warhammer 40k like <laughs> it's very weird i think there are improvements to the graphics as i mentioned the colors really help a lot but uh it feels very kind of just random and and not coherent in this game at least that's my feeling when I was playing and watching. So, a bit of a mixed score. I, and again, I gave it a 2.25 out of 10. For relevance, I did give this an 8 out of 10 because I know this sells pretty well and uh, it's remembered pretty well. I think if you did get into the game enough for you to memorize pretty much the entire 17-page manual, you'd <laughs> probably really enjoy it. And um, there are some like difficulty settings you can mess around with so i think you could get some replayability out of it the other thing I, I think really helps the relevance is these visibility mechanics that i haven't really seen before and obviously for like games today that's huge you know whether something knows that you're around or you can detect an enemy before they see you uh is really cool and in this game one thing that it did play a part in is that you can run away from enemies and potentially do that by trying to hide behind cover so because uh, that that way they won't see you so it was kind of a neat mechanic i just wish the, the core part of the combat was better so that it could support that better and overall i give it a two out of ten i think it's all right it's not great i think it is one of their better games that they've made since the first dungeon quest game honestly it actually feels like they tried to improve stuff here and, and go in a different direction. So I like that. I'm hopefully excited to see what they do with this because if they continue down this direction, you know, just getting a more coherent art style together and just speed up the time of the turns to make it more real time, I think will help me not feel like all my inputs are getting eaten all the time and uh, try to get away from this weird grid-based movement system where you're not on a grid anymore um you know just kind of clean up some of these other features and gameplay loops there could be something really cool uh down the road with this i don't know but i am hopeful that they can you know take these graphic improvements mainly and kind of gameplay differences and, and go off on and continue uh, to improve upon that so i'll have to see if they do that or not but it was definitely an interesting one to take a look at. Yeah, it definitely sounds like they've made some, you know, cool choices that don't make the game as a whole great, but they're at least notable on their own, like the visibility system. And yeah, we'll have to see how that kind of translates into their next game or other CRPGs. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to another computer game. We have Lords of Karma by Avalon Hill and Microcomputer Games. Uh, we have seen some dates for 81, but we've also seen 80, so we're going with that. It looks like it came out on the big three computers, and there's going to be an 8-bit version in 81, uh, Atari 8-bit version in 1981, but there's no changes. 
And this game is just a text adventure with a fairly simple combat system, but it did have a follower mechanic, which is pretty cool. And the main premise was collecting karma by doing good deeds so that you could ascend into heaven. <laughs> uh, so that's a very interesting and weird theming, different than what we've seen before, but no graphics and combat was pretty simple. So we didn't end up covering that one. Okay, and then let's move into Byte uh, Magazine, their December issue. I believe this was some sort of big uh, text adventure issue. But the first one is not a text adventure here. It's called Two Machine Hangman, and I really like it because two machines were getting computers talking to another, playing games um, across some cables or the internet. Or not internet, <laughs> but you know, I don't know what they were, how they were doing it, but I thought it was cool, even if it was just Hangman. <laughs> but yeah. at least people are thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. Uh, and then the next two that we have here are text adventures. Uh, ones we've seen before, Pirate Adventure and Lost Dutchman's Gold. But for both of these, the source code was put in Byte Magazine. So that means that people could just type it into their computer to run it. And we're not too sure, but the Pirate Adventure version also may have had some improvements and additions to it. Yep. And then last for Byte Magazine, we've got one called Monster Combat. And this is some sort of CRPG or... D&D type combat game with minimal graphics. I think it was just, you know, on a grid using like X's and, and T's and O's and stuff, but it did have like this kind of CRPG combat. I wasn't able to play it, so I'm not sure how turn-based versus real-time it was, but it sounds like it could have been cool. And then next we have a game called Morton's Fork by Chameleon Software, uh, which is the third game in the Maces and Magic series following Balrog Sampler and Stone of Sisyphus. And it is a text adventure RPG hybrid, but again, has no graphics. So we weren't too interested in checking it out. All right, but let's move on to some arcade games. We are in December of 1980, the final month. And um, there's some pretty big arcade games in this month, as you guys can probably imagine with the title of today's episode. Oh, yeah. But before we get there, there's one called Astro Wars I wanted to mention by Zakaria and Zelko. It's just a version of Astro Fighter from Data East, which we've already seen. But this version seems a bit harder. I have seen dates between 79 and 81 for this game. So, you know, right in the middle for 80, I guess, is where it's going to go. And uh, kind of coming off of Astro Wars, we have another game here called Star Fighter by Century. It was just a 1980 clone of Astro Wars, a Sicario game I just mentioned. Then we have the big one for today, a game that I have been looking forward to reviewing since we started this podcast, Phoenix, which I wish I could just say by so-and-so, but it's got a bit of a complicated development history. So <laughs> um, <laughs> Phoenix was originally developed by this very small Japanese company called TPN and maybe also Tekan. It was published by Taito in Japan, but then it was also published in North America by Amstar and then later Century. So there's kind of this complicated ownership of it going on. The game was originally licensed to Taito by TPN, but then was apparently licensed to Amstar by another small Japanese company called Hiroaka. So I don't know if those two companies were related and just licensed it to two different places or if somebody stole it from the other. Uh, but then eventually, most of the versions that made their way to the U.S. were by Century, and most of the versions that were in Europe and Japan were by Taito. The cabinet itself 
I was a little underwhelmed at first, to be honest. It's mostly wood grain, but it does have a really nice marquee with Phoenix in cool lettering and a badass robot space Phoenix on the side. <laughs> so, you know, exactly what you want to see. There were a couple different versions of the cabinets. Uh, some of them did have joysticks for the controls, but the Century version only had button controls. And the American version did technically release in January of 1981, but the Japanese version released in December of 1980, so that's why we're covering it now. Phoenix, if you don't know, is a classic Galaxian-type game. Uh, it's one of my dad's favorite arcade games, so that is the reason that I knew about it and was very excited to check it out. And despite being a classic Galaxian-type game, it does make some interesting changes to the gameplay and has a lot of different rounds as you progress to keep things interesting. In the first two rounds of the game, you fight these small bird spaceship enemies that loop down in patterns towards you, sort of Galaxian style, and as they descend, they fire down at you, they come down in pairs of two or one at a time, and occasionally they'll do a kamikaze run on you and try to fly straight into your ship. In the second round of these two, you face the same enemies, but you can fire much faster for some reason, uh, which is really fun because you can get through that round really quickly. The following two rounds, round three and four, feature these eggs that are floating across the screen that slowly hatch into phoenixes. And once they hatch, the phoenixes fire tons of shots down at you. Uh, they sort of just fly back and forth horizontally across the screen, but as you kill more of them, they do slowly descend down at you. And they have to be shot in the center to be killed. Uh, you can shoot their wings off, but they actually regrow, which is pretty cool. And then the fourth round, as far as I could tell, is pretty much the same. The phoenixes, I think, might be a little harder to hit, and their wings take two hits for them to fall off. But still, if you hit them in the center, they die, uh, and they move pretty much the same across the screen. And then the fifth round, which is the last different round before the cycle repeats again, is probably one of the ones that this game is the most popular for. It features basically a big boss fight where you have this huge mothership that shows up on the screen with an alien pilot in the center and you have to kill it. Uh, basically you kill the mothership by shooting the alien pilot and it's almost like a breakout type game where you have to destroy all the bottom of the ship including this scrolling sort of like conveyor belt part in the middle of the ship. So you have to make a hole through both of those and time your shot so that it will go all the way through and hit the alien in the cockpit to destroy it. And if that wasn't hard enough, while this is happening, the mothership is also slowly descending towards you and the bird ships from the first two rounds are also there, just constantly attacking you. <laughs> and if you kill all the enemy bird ships to try and clear them out, another wave spawns. So basically you just kind of have to dodge them shoot a few of them and try to kill the mothership. But then after that, the rounds repeat, they get faster, the movement of the AI gets a little bit more unpredictable. And one of the other huge additions to the gameplay that Phoenix makes is that you have a barrier that you can deploy around your ship. It makes you invulnerable from missiles and it also destroys any enemies that run into you and it recharges every five seconds. But the catch is you can't move while you're doing it. I had more than a few times where I was being hit by a barrage of missiles. I hit the barrier, and then right as my barrier went away, another shot came down and destroyed me because I couldn't move out of the way. So <laughs> you definitely had to be pretty tactical about how you use it. 
that is the basic gameplay. Other than that, we've kind of seen most of the Galaxian process. Let me get into my ratings for this game and talk about what makes it so great. The graphics, first off, are really good. I don't know if they're like as crisp and great as Galaxian, but they're still very good. So I gave them a 4.5 out of 10. Phoenix also just has great original designs. You know, there's still these weird spaceship things, but the birds in the beginning actually flap their wings when they fly back to the top of the screen. The phoenixes start out in these tiny eggs that like pulsate in colors and then hatch into these weird gigantic wings with like a really, really tiny diamond shaped head in the middle. Uh, but they still look great and they have animations as they're flying around too. And then the mothership, of course, is huge, has a lot of detail to it, and looks really fun. The only thing I don't like about it is that the alien in the center is just like a weird, I don't know, squid kind of alien? Like, <laughs> it should probably be a bird, right? Like, everything else is birds, so I don't know <laughs> why there's this weird, like, Space Invaders-looking squid guy driving the mothership. But other than that, I mean, it all looks great. The phoenixes especially were my favorite, just the way that they, like, start out in the eggs, hatch, both their wings can get shot off and they grow them back. And then they can also go back into the eggs and regenerate every now and then. It just looks really cool. The background is also really nice. Uh, it doesn't twinkle like Galaxian, but there are lots of stars, planets, and comets that scroll by. And also the background changes during the rounds, which is nice. Your ship is super weird. Uh, it looks like kind of if you took a drag racing car, threw it in space and took its wheels off and gave it wings and the wings, for whatever reason, like move in and out when you move side to side. Uh, so it looks like you're kind of like shimmying your way across the screen as you move side to side. It's really strange, but it is a very like iconic looking ship and it's multicolored as well. Uh, so everything looks great. I love the explosion animations as well, especially the explosion animation when you get extra points for hitting a bird enemy flying up to the top of the screen or for doing a direct hit on a phoenix. It basically looks like they explode into really nicely colored and well-detailed fireballs come flying out from the sides of them. So overall, it just looks really good. Moving on to sounds, I give it a 3.5 out of 10 here. Unfortunately, as much as I wanted to love everything about this game, the sounds are a bit of a mixed bag. We have some great musical tunes at the beginning and end of the game, and they both sound really good. But the majority of the noises during the game for the aliens, the firing, and the ships are just beepy kind of sounds. Some of them still sound pretty fun, like the like pulsing siren noise during the Phoenix stage, and the wing being hit noise during the Phoenix stage as well. But overall, it was still just pretty simple. Altogether, since there are a lot of sounds, it does make that nice, classic, hectic arcade sound, but still, I wish there was a little bit more variety and uh, to the types of sounds that were in the game. Moving on to 
gameplay now, one of the most important things, I gave this a 4.5 out of 10 because thankfully it is a very fun Galaxian type game. I do want to say, I don't know if I just suck at this genre of games, which is very possible, or if Phoenix is really hard, but it took me six tries to even make it to the boss stage. And when I did, I was not able to beat it. So <laughs> it's definitely a tough one, like a lot of the Galaxian games at this time. Uh, but it still definitely maintains that one more try feeling. Uh, you feel like you're learning a bit every single time, which I think is a great design when it works out that way. That it's like, oh, I got beat, but I know how I can win. And you keep wanting to try again. I think the fact that they pair the rounds so that there's one enemy type for the first two and then another enemy type for the second two gives you this nice chance to like learn the enemies feel like you've mastered them by the second round and then totally get switched up by the time you get to the third round and have to master a new enemy type i also like the barrier i feel like that is a super cool mechanic that gives you a tactical edge and it's balanced because you can't move while it's on so it's not like it's completely too strong but i like that it recharges so i don't have to be managing like an ammo count on top of everything else and the best part of the gameplay for me is just the variation in the rounds. It only has three enemy types, really. I mean, they act slightly different between the rounds, but it's amazing how diverse and fun those five rounds feel, even with only three enemy types. Uh, so I think they just did a really good job. They, I don't know what exactly it is, but everything melts together in a way that makes a really fun shooting game. And yeah, the, the Phoenixes are a fun challenge with trying to shoot them in the center and not hit their wings. Moving on to relevance now, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10 here. Phoenix became really popular in Japan and then also very popular in Europe and America when it released. Uh, so it's a very popular Galaxian type game. And even though it just seems like another Galaxian type game, it definitely did stuff right that made it memorable. And like I mentioned at the beginning, on a personal note, it's relevant to me for the history of video games because it's one of my dad's favorite arcade games. Uh, so I knew it was going to be a good one. And overall, that left me with a 4.25 out of 10. Phoenix is a super solid Galaxian-type game with great visuals, a fun boss fight, and a cool new barrier mechanic. It's got great theming, uh, which reminds me a lot of Space Firebird, but I haven't seen any direct uh, links between the two games. Uh, and great gameplay to match its awesome theming. It's a lot of fun. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Someday I love well. Yeah, one I was definitely uh that and Seawolf were two of the ones where I'm like, oh my relatives have played these games. I gotta check them <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, I got to. Well, as you mentioned, Wes, there are a lot of clones of Phoenix. Those ones that came out somehow in eighty, despite this coming out in December. So I find that hard to believe, but it's what my sources said. What what am I gonna <laughs> do? <laughs> so we got Phoenix by GGI Corp, Phoenix by Zakaria, Phoenix by Century, Phoenix by DNL, Eagles by Digimatic Italia, Falcon by BGB, Voltor by Jutel, Batman Part 2. <laughs> it's weird. By Amtech, Griffin by Videotron, and Griffin by Olympia. Quite a few. And props for Batman Part 2. That's very <laughs> I think it's name. gotta be. Batman means something in a different language or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Or the phoenixes are all Batmans that you're shooting down. <laughs> uh, and the next, we have a few more bootlegs here. We have uh, Ave Phoenix or Ave Phoenix by Electro Game. 
and then also by Laguna, and then another version of Ave Phoenix by Recreativos Franco, uh, which were all Spanish bootlegs of Phoenix. And then finally, we've got one called Eagle by Century. Um, it was their license, and it was a slightly different version of Phoenix that just had different graphics. But uh, I think the graphics of this are pretty good as well, so if you guys don't know it, definitely check it out. Alright, but let's move on to the Galactic game that I had the pleasure of taking a look at this <laughs> week. It's called New York, New York. Um, and it's by Sigma, but also, I believe, published under Gottlieb. Or Gottlieb. Also, <laughs> real quick, I want to say um, there's a Japanese version of this game. As you can imagine, the US version has uh, a Statue of Liberty in it because it's New York, New York, and you're defending New York from the aliens. That's like the kind of the big pool of this game is that the Statue of Liberty is in there um, in the background. But in Japan, it was re-released with a different uh, like theme to it. The theme is around this anime called Captain Harlock that I've never heard of before. I don't know if you've heard of that, Wes. No, no. But the, uh, the version, like the Japanese version, has Arcadia in the title and Captain Harlock. It had an Arcadia short film in 78 and then a feature film in 82. So I don't know when the Japanese version came out, if it came out for the 82 film or for the 78 film and it's just late, you know? But, um,. It's kind of weird because it's like in space and <laughs> instead of like a bunch of buildings and the Statue of Liberty in the background, it's just like a statue of like this guy from the anime. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like stars in space around him. It doesn't really make any sense. There's no like real tie into it at all. <laughs> They're just like, yep, we're just going to replace the Statue of Liberty with this anime character and it's a different game now. <laughs> but okay, so... What is New York, New York? It's another Galaxian-type game where you're defending New York, obviously. Um, and uh, this one's, I'll be honest, Wes, it's a hot mess. I don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> Again, um, <laughs> there's some like really cool parts to the game and then other parts that are just like not as good or just I am just don't know what is going on. <laughs> there are some flyers for the game, but it didn't really talk about the gameplay at all. So... I just don't know what some of the gameplay things are. Uh, so, for example, you've got your normal kind of saucer aliens coming down and, and attacking you Galaxian style. But then also sometimes there's just this weird like spinner wheel that will spawn in. And if you shoot it, a voice sound effect plays, which kind of reminds me of like Mario going like Yahoo or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's somebody saying owl, maybe. In this weird digitized speech thing but you hit the flying wheel and i've seen on videos where it like seems to explode and take out everybody on screen and whenever i played the game it never did that so i don't know what it does and it doesn't really look like anything so i don't know like sometimes it feels like it gets destroyed after one hit sometimes it feels like you hit it four times and it's still going but like every time you hit it it changes the color so <laughs> it seems very weird I don't know what that is, if it's a boss or I don't know. So there's that going on. The other thing is like the best part about this game is the Statue of Liberty. It looks amazing. And there's the Empire State Building in the background and some other buildings. But you're like in space and there's a starry sky background and the stars are moving and there's no ground underneath the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> so it just looks like 
New York is like floating in space and you're defending it in space. It's very weird. Like, why is there no ground? Why are there stars underneath of the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> so that part's really weird as well. And, uh, like, I don't know. I feel like the game is just, it's got a, just a mix of weird things going on from really nice multicolored blinking starry sky background that's moving. And as I mentioned, the Statue of Liberty looks really good. And then the enemy saucers are just single color and not multicolor sprites, which is like, why is that the case? And also your ship, I think, looks awful, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is a ship. Like, you can tell it's a ship. I just don't like how it looks. I just think it's, I don't know. It's just uh, pretty much just two colors. And I think maybe they're going for like an X-wing shape, maybe. But from above, it just doesn't look that good. And the last thing I have to mention is that there's a bonus stage where an enemy comes down and it looks like it's the character's UFO, like the text like that says UFO, but it's firing at you like an enemy. Like, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be some sort of shape and it just looks like the letters UFO. Whatever it is, it's not good looking. And I don't know <laughs> what what's happening there either. So just a lot of question marks about some of the graphic decisions and not all bad like i mentioned like some of the graphics are really nice and it's just like a weird mix of things but other than that like there's really not too much more to say about the game the generic flying saucer enemies just kind of they swoop at you in some different patterns and can sometimes like it feels like they kind of drop a volley of missiles at you instead of firing one at a time like there's some different patterns there but there's no difference in enemies. It's just the flying saucer, the spinny wheel, which I don't think attacks you or does really anything, and the bonus ship, which does attack you, but it's all by itself. And I think in some of the stages, it kind of goes back and forth between a large group of enemies coming in and then just maybe one or two enemies coming in. So they spawn differently and have different patterns and stuff, but there's no different sprites of different enemies or big boss or anything so it feels uh, a little boring I'll say compared to some of these other games like Phoenix which have giant phoenixes in them <laughs> like coming out of <laughs> eggs there's nothing like that here yeah it's a little all over the place but uh, with that being said that's pretty much everything the game is so let me get into the ratings for gameplay I give it a 2.25 out of 10 I was kind of a little bit bored about it because of all the it was just kind of like one generic enemy and sure it has different flying patterns and stuff, but it kind of just wasn't fun to always fight the same enemy over and over again. I mean, one thing I do like is that you can fire multiple shots at a time. I think it's something like three shots on screen at a time. So that was nice, but I just felt the game was kind of boring and there wasn't really anything exciting happening. So I couldn't go too high with my score of 2.25 out of 10. For sound, it did have actually some interesting things going on with the sound there's a looping musical tune in the background and I actually mean musical tune like there's a, a two-part harmony going on in the background at all oh, wow. times and i really like that part about the game it sounds nice and uh it didn't get on my nerves or anything like it was just a nice looping musical background tune i think the only problem is that the two voices of that musical tune are kind of high pitched and all the other pitches that are happening for this game are also high pitched so it just kind of felt like sometimes a lot of things were attacking my ears at the same time <laughs> i wish that 
there was a bit like a baseline going on or something. There's just no bass in this game at all. But uh, the general sound effects are just shooting and things exploding. Sounds pretty good and uh, definitely sounds unique. It's not the Galaxian normal type of sound. So I wanted to give it a little bit of points there, mainly just for that looping background tune, which I liked. graphics this is really hard because some things i really liked some things i really <laughs> didn't like i ended up going with a 2.75 out of 10 the new statue of uh, liberty is really the highlight of the game as soon as i saw the statue i thought oh this has got to be a quality game because the statue of liberty looks so good but then you realize like oh the statue of liberty is floating in space <laughs> and there's no ground underneath of it and also your ship looks like trash and the enemies are single colored sprites and although they're different colors it's just not good enough like we need some multicolored sprites but then you've got the multicolored starry sky moving in the background like it's just a mix of things but i think there's more question marks and good things here <laughs> especially with the word ufo flying at you for some reason <laughs> and uh, a weird spinny wheel that shouts actual digital speech at you when you hit it which is something i forgot to mention with the sound rating but there is some voice lines mainly just somebody saying ow i think whenever you hit that but that doesn't make any sense why is that in there so just a lot of question marks but yeah for graphics a mixed bag so i ended up giving it a 2.75 mainly just for the statue of new york or statue of liberty i should say for relevance i don't know i give it a five and a half out of ten I don't think this game is very popular. It's made by Sigma, which is not a very large company for us. And um, it was kind of hard to find uh, good information about this game. Like I couldn't find any real videos of a real cabinet playing it. But I did want to give it some points because while we have seen looping multi-voice music in the background of some other games like Carnival, for instance, uh, I don't think we've ever seen it in a Galaxian type game. I think all the other games were just a single voice of melody playing, so I could be wrong, but I, I don't think we've ever heard like a multi-voice tune. Voice meaning just there's more than one musical line going on at a time uh, before, so I like that we had that in a Galaxian game. I think it is the first, so I wanted to give it just a little bit of points there. And overall, I gave it a 2.75 out of 10. It's alright. I think that the sound is pretty good. The graphics are very mixed, and the gameplay is quite mixed to meh. Uh, just kind <laughs> of unremarkable. And um, what I really take away from this game is, wow, that's a nice-looking Statue of Liberty. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> right. Like, and some good sound effects, but the core gameplay is just not there. I don't know what's going on with that, if it was made by a different person or what. <laughs> yeah, all the development time went into that statue of liberty you know and then they're like well yeah. we can we can cut corners on the other stuff <laughs> interesting it's just like why is this ship not like you would think the ship is the most important part of the game you know why does that look so bad yeah <laughs> i, I don't know that's hilarious it looks like a ketchup bottle <laughs> it's like red yeah i mean i love that 
it's just seemingly random theming. Like they're like, well, we got this space UFO game, but we have no way to make it interesting. What if we just threw like a representation <laughs> of New York with no grounding in reality in space? Yeah. And it's a bold move. Can't say it worked for him, but um, <laughs> definitely uh, <laughs> glad you took a look at it. It was, sounds like a funny one. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Let's move on to our last set of games for today. We are going to be talking about two Intellivision games. The last two of the year. The last two of the year. The first one, not one that we really wanted to review, is Las Vegas Roulette, uh, which is pretty much what you would expect. But hey, you've mm-hmm. got to have some gambling games on the system every now and then. And the last one is my second review for today, and it is PGA Golf, which, you know, in television, Mattel always pulling out those big name sponsorships for their sports games. This is no different. Uh, it's funny because I've just been watching people play the newest PGA game <laughs> and going back to what is, I'm pretty sure, the first PGA video game uh, is pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. But this had some hilarious commercials for it. As with all of the sports and television games, it's basically direct attacks on Atari 2600 versions <laughs> or uh, sometimes the Astrocade and just being like, here's what their football looks like. Ours looks better. Uh, and, you know, in this case, they, they were definitely right. Uh, <laughs> but it is funny just having like some random pro golfer filmed on the famous Pebble Beach golf course, allegedly uh, dissing the Atari golf game. And apparently they switched to this kind of like direct confrontation (laughs) marketing strategy strategy after uh, not really being able to sell many consoles in early 1980. And they were like, well, what if we just said it's better than the uh, competitor? And apparently that's wonders for it. Uh, The box also basically advertised that this game is just as much fun as real golf, but you don't have to pay a fee for playing on the course. So, (laughs) okay, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's get into the gameplay as with all their sports games their angle is definitely let's make this as accurate as possible and not worry about dumbing it down to like just super simple video game standards and they stay true to that with golf that meant that you could aim in any of the 16 directions on the 16 directional pad on the controller you could select nine different clubs to use for every swing um, and you could do a long medium or short swing with any of those clubs the manual was pretty long and had like the average swing distances for each type of swing for each type of club so you could really figure that out even though i don't think there was any measurements on the actual screen but i guess you just kind of got used to the distances the courses also had sand bunkers trees water hazards rough uh i ran into a very like typical i feel like golf game scenario where I hit a short enough swing right next to a tree that it actually bounced off the tree and then landed directly into a water hazard. Uh, So, you know, it definitely simulates that realistic golf and golf game experience. (laughs) It plays a nine hole game of golf uh, with a different, you know, all the holes are different and it doesn't tell you the par for each of the courses on the screen, uh, but it does tell you in the manual. And it keeps a tally of your total strokes, so you could also just do it that way. The manual, as I mentioned, is very long, very well detailed. It goes into detail about talking about things like the arc height for each type of club. Like they show 
that a nine iron would hit a tree because of the average height of the trees, but a five wood would clear the trees. Like they're really going into detail for each of these, <laughs> uh, which I really appreciated. But that being said, as I was playing it, I found that it was still surprisingly easy to get into. Uh, so let me get into my ratings now for graphics. I gave this a three out of 10. I shouldn't have been surprised by how good it looks, but I was. Uh, the Intellivision always has great graphics. It's still a lot of simple shapes, but there's a lot of nice colors. And the important thing is that you can clearly tell where the water hazards are. You can clearly tell where the sand bunkers, the fairway, the rough, the green is, and the hole and all that. The trees are also look pretty good. You can see like the foliage on them, sort of, but it's like a top-down view. Uh, so it's not incredibly detailed, but there's a lot of variety there, and all the different holes look different too. Uh, so it really feels like you're kind of going through this course. Your character, interestingly enough, isn't actually on the course where, like next to the ball that he's hitting, but there's just a horizontal, like a side view representation of your stick figure standing at the top left of the screen. And while that's a little weird because it's detached from the course, it ends up being this strange thing where it lets you analyze the swing so you can time your hit. Because one thing I forgot to mention is that this has what is basically the classic way to play golf video games where you hit a button to start your swing and then hit a button to complete your swing at the right time to like hit it straight. Uh, so you actually have to watch your character swing the golf club to know when to hit the button a second time, which is really cool. And the stick figure in the top left corner even stoops down when putting. Uh, so even though the character's not very detailed, it does have some animation to it, which is very cool. And one of my favorite visual details about this game is that, you know, you have a top-down view of the course. So when you hit the ball, if it goes really high into the air, the ball actually gets larger to make it look like it's getting, you know, closer to this top-down camera. Uh, and it's surprisingly a really good effect. It's, you know, a very 2D game, but that helps make it feel like a 3D sort of world. Uh, so I like that a lot. Moving on the sounds, I only gave this a 2 out of 10, but I was still surprised how good the sounds were in this game. Uh, there weren't too many, but the few that there were just really fit a golf game. I mean, the swing sounds sounded like you're hitting grass, or if you hit it through a tree, there was kind of like a leaf sound. There's this sort of dink noise when you, when you sink a ball into the hole or when you hit a tree. And then there's also a bubbly sort of splash noise when you hit it into the water hazard. Uh, so even though they were all simple and there weren't that many sounds going on, they worked really well to help illustrate, you know, the actual sounds that you would hear on the golf course. Moving on to gameplay now, I'm not really a big, like I've never played golf in real life except for mini golf, but I do think golf games are really fun. I was still surprised how much I liked this. Uh, I gave it a 3.5 out of 10 for gameplay. It's just really fun. Like the extra nuance and complexity that this adds compared to like the Atari Golf or other golf games we've played uh, is just the right amount for what you need to feel like there's actually skill involved and knowledge plays a factor in knowing what club to use when. I also played it on a keyboard, so I could only do eight directions with the arrow keys, but I think having the 16 directional pad would have made this feel really good, feel like you actually had a lot of control over the game. And it could also be up to four players taking turns, so I feel like that just works perfectly for a golf game, 
you could sit around with your friends and have a tournament. I don't know. It, it does a surprisingly good job of playing like a full game of golf and having you be able to make all the decisions that you normally would in a golf game. No wind, I should say, because that's a big part of golf games now. But still, it definitely does a lot of stuff right. So for relevance, I gave it a 7 out of 10. And television's always coming through with those big name sports sponsors. It's the first PGA game, as far as I know, and PGA games are still around today. And I also feel like this is the first like real golf simulation game we've seen. Um, most of the other ones are kind of like putting simulators, but it has the classic golf video game thing where you have to do the two button timed button presses to do a perfect swing. And I feel like that's just such a staple of like. I don't know, like it's in every Mario Golf game and stuff like that. Uh, so it's really cool to see that this is the first game to be doing that. So overall, that left me with a 3 out of 10. PGA Golf was surprisingly a ton of fun. It has enough complexity to make it feel like you could play really well, but it isn't so hard to understand that it's unplayable if you don't know how to play golf. Like I was just picking random clubs and i obviously still had no idea what i was doing but i was making progress towards the hole and you know was happy with my like quintuple bogey that i got but <laughs> it just uh plays a pretty solid game of golf i don't know how many kids back in 1980 were into golf but i feel like if you were this would be a really fun video game adaptation to play with your friends cool yeah it sounds pretty fun i mean definitely visually looks a lot better than anything we've seen before. Yeah, yeah. That commercial did a good job, I think, on me anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. It worked on me. I'm <laughs> sold. <laughs> All right. But uh, that will end it for us today. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I did Star Warrior from Automated Simulations or Epics. And uh, it was definitely different from their other games. Uh, all their games have been pretty successful. So. It's definitely um, one of these companies that's kind of pushing the genre forward. So I'm excited to see what they do next. And then Wes, you did the big one, Phoenix, by, I guess I'll say TPN, <laughs> a lot of people. And uh, that one's just a really great uh, Galaxian-type game with uh, Phoenixes hatching from eggs and a big old mothership at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. Uh, and then I did New York, New York by Sigma. And that one was just a total mix of random things, but I had the Statue of Liberty, so don't forget that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then you did PGA Golf on the Intellivision, the last Intellivision title of the year, so it was definitely a, a fun one to look at. I think good episode today for the first one of December of 1980. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got plenty more games to check out through the rest of December, so make sure that you stick with us, keep listening to the podcast, check out our website where we have tons of information on developers and other games we've covered before. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, where we post announcements. And if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. And with that, we'll catch you next time. See you all next time.